0: Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots.
1: I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there?
0: Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys. All right? Come here. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in
1: detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax?
0: Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey,
1: how about tickets to the Super
0: Bowl? That's asking too much.
1: I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game.
0: All right, you join now, and we'll get you there.
1: I like a pony.
0: Look in your backyard, me church, where it's all about you.
1: Ah, uh, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> hey, by show of hands, how many of you would say you grew up in church? I know that's true for a lot of folks. Yeah, that's good. Well, you're probably like me then. You've seen a lot of stuff, I bet. In church, you know, church can be a great place, can't it? It can also be a little strange. Before Jill and I started this church with a group of people that helped make that happen, we were attending a church in town, I'll leave it nameless, but uh, one day we were in service and evidently there was a lady there who felt like she had the ministry of holy water. So, so what she did is she took a little squirt gun and filled it up with, I'm assuming, holy water. And she ran around the church while we were singing, squirting people, blessing them. Not kidding, I really saw that happen. I've seen crazy things happen in church. I've been at church meetings where people got upset. And people, in the name of God, said all kinds of crazy things. I was at a, a, a church once where they were having a business meeting and uh, this, is, this is absolutely hilarious. There was a discussion about whether or not to put a Coke machine in the fellowship hall of the church. And somebody had the idea that if they did that, that would be like money changers. And Jesus whipped the money changers out of the uh, temple. So we shouldn't put a Coke machine in the fellowship hall of the church. And it began to be debated and people got angry and upset. And one man stood up and he said, if we put a Coke machine in the fellowship hall of this church, Jesus would roll over in his grave. And if you think about that for a second, the whole problem is, is that he's not even in the grave. But the strangest thing that I ever saw happen in a, I'm not kidding, the strangest thing I ever saw happen in a church, well, it happened to my brother, actually, Greg, who was on the stage just a little... Uh, A while ago, we were at a church that had a loving, caring ministry to people that were mentally challenged. And it was a beautiful thing to watch where people who often don't get to experience community and love in the ways that we do um, got to be loved in that church. And they were fully integrated in our congregation. And so these adult men and women, well, they were just part of our family and we loved them dearly. But, you know, sometimes mentally challenged people can have some challenges. I mean, That's just the truth of it. Well, one day, Greg was about eight years old. I'm four years older than him, even though I look eight years younger. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, And one day, Greg was about eight years old, and one of the ladies who had come over as a part of that ministry had been in the restroom. And this was back in the days when everybody wore dresses and pantyhose uh, to church. You you, you remember those days? We've been delivered from those days, praise the Lord. But... uh, (laughs) But, but that was back in the day, and she came out of the restroom, and because of her challenges, I don't think she was fully aware, and if you've ever been to church a long time, maybe you said, her, her dress was tucked somewhat into her panty. It was sad. It was terrible, right? That's not the funny part. I'm not trying to get you to laugh at that, but here's the perspective. I'm standing like over here, and she's like here, and my eight-year-old brother's like here. Well, when she realizes what's going on, she decided that it was time to readjust everything. So she pulled up her dress, pulled down everything, no, no lie, and rearranged and put it down. Now from my vantage point here, here's what I see. My brother's like, he's been scarred ever since if you've ever wondered what was happening. I've seen a lot of crazy things in church. Well, you're in for a treat today because... Greg um, is a part of our church, and uh, he's going to be okay, and we're going to give you a chance to understand what church is like and be okay, too, because if you're like me and have seen a lot of crazy things, sometimes it can leave you with a strange perspective. One of the strangest things that I think happens in the life of church is this, that sometimes people believe if you show up, that's all that God requires from you. Well, here's what you need to understand. God doesn't need us to come to church. That's not what church is all about. He doesn't need us to show up. He's not like most pastors I know, like myself. He's not like that at all, where we look at every number and pay attention, and somehow our self-esteem for the week is impacted by how many people come. So please, please come to church, guys. Please. I, no, I mean, God's not like that at all. That's not, that's not what he's into. He gives us the gift of church for our good. It doesn't benefit him. He loves the church. He calls it his bride, He calls it his bride that he gave his life for. In fact, it's such a powerful thing for him that he looks at men who are married and men who are thinking about being married, and he says, you should love the church, or you should love your wife so much like he loves his bride, the church. So it sets the standard of the kind of love that he has. And when you think about church and the crazy stuff and the good stuff that can happen, sometimes you can get a mixed picture. Well, how do you correct a mixed picture? You go back to the blueprint. You go back to the design, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at, in the Bible, the book of Acts, chapter 2. If you'd like to go there, if you don't have your scriptures with you, on the screen behind me will be the words, but we're going to look at Acts, chapter 2, and it becomes the blueprint for the church. It's like a blueprint for an architect is what it is for those of us that are trying to reinvestigate church. It's like a score for an orchestra conductor. It keeps them in line. It keeps everybody playing on the right note at the right time. That's our, our study today. That's what it's all about. And you couldn't be in for more of a treat today. We're going to be celebrating the induction of some people into the church. Now, not into our local church. Baptism around here does not mean membership like it does in some organizations. But we acknowledge that these people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus have been adopted into his family. We celebrate that with them through this Thing called baptism. And around here, it's a party. So when these six or seven folks get dunk today and they're coming out, out of the water, the first sound they will hear is their brothers and sisters. That's us celebrating. And the way we do that around here is like you celebrate everywhere else in your life. You clap, you yell, you cheer, and you worship God with them for the greatness that's going on in their lives. It's a great day for that. But it's also a good week in the life of our church because this week some hundred and fifty pastors will gather in this room on Wednesday morning at nine o'clock and go till about noon. Um, discovering some ways to do church uh, more healthily and better. We are hosting a conference here, and uh, we're really proud to give back to the larger work of God in the kingdom, in this area, by doing that. And so I'll tell you a little bit more about that a little bit later on. So, What makes then for great church? Would you like to go to a great church? Let me give you the secret to great church. Great churches are great because they're made up of great church people. That's what it takes. See, there is no such thing as great church. If you've been in a bad church, I have, by the way, it's because there aren't great church people there. If you've been in an average church, that means there are some great church people there and some not so great church people. See, the idea of making an institution great, well, that just doesn't happen. The institution by its nature, as Jesus designed it, is a wonderful institution. He established it. He said it would thrive. In fact, here's the thing about church. Long after you and I are dead and pushing up daisies and our bodies are food for worms, the church is going to exist. When your grandkids are having kids, the church will still be thriving. A thousand years from now, it's likely that there won't be a United States of America. I mean, if you just look at geopolitical history, you know, countries don't have long-term reigns like that all that often. But one thing you can be sure about is that if Jesus Christ delays his tarry, there will still be a thriving church. The church is the only enterprise that will outlive you and outlive everybody else because from the day Jesus established it, there has always been and there will always be people who commit themselves to what he was about, sharing a message of redemption and grace and love and forgiveness and repentance in this world. Yeah, the church will outlive Microsoft. And I know some of you Apple skeptics are saying, but what about Apple? It'll outlive Apple too. It will. It will. It will outlive every enterprise you've ever heard of. It will outlive every nation. It will outlive kings and rulers. The church will be around. It will outlive parachurch ministries, by the way. Parachurch ministries are powerful things, things like Campus Crusade. Even the YMCA started out as a parachurch ministry. And these are people who got together and said it would be really good to do God's work outside of a church context. And that's fine. That's... But parachurch ministries don't have the promise of God on them like the church has on it. That the church will be around and the church will thrive But what it takes for churches to be great is good, great church people. See, the church is people. It's a group of people who gather together and say, we're going to do God's agenda in this world. We're going to let him change us. We're going to believe into his message, receive all that he has, and then we're going to let God work through us to bring his message to this world. Now, churches come and go, don't they? In fact, this year in America, 3,500 churches will close their doors. If you're a new church, less than five years old, you have a one in six chance of surviving five years. That's just the way it rolls. Churches sometimes die because generationally they get older. Every year passes, the average age in the congregation grows one year. And so they don't know it yet, but they're on the short track towards you know, not being around anymore. And with all of that said, with all the craziness you've seen and I've seen and you've heard about on TV and you've read in the newspaper, Jesus says this of the church, it's his bride and he loves it. Martin Luther said this, the church is a prostitute, but she's my mother and I love her. And what he meant by that was, is it's not a perfect place. How many of you would agree that the church is not a perfect place? Now don't talk about this one, I'm talking about those out there. Of course it's not a perfect place. So what does it take then to have great church? And is all you have to do is show up? Well, of course not. If all you think you have to do is show up, you're going to miss the benefit that God gave us the church for. So what does the blueprint say? Well, great church people, the Bible tells us, in Acts chapter 2, great church people that make great churches operate in supernatural power. Well, let me tell you about that. What I mean here is, is that you have power and ability. You have gifts and skills. And that's necessary. And there are people all around you in this room. If you're visiting today, you should know there are people who have prayed for, sweated over, and worked to make sure that your experience here today was a good experience. But not simply those givings of our natural talents and abilities of skills, not simply that is what makes for great church. Great church and great church people occur when people begin to operate not in their own strength alone. But in the supernatural power of God, this is how the church first started. I'm going to read for you a passage of scripture that sounds for me somewhat fantastical. It sounds a little odd. I would have loved to have been there and observed it. On the first day that there was a church on its birthday, it's probably more like a wedding day. There were already people being loved and commitments being made, but on this day, the church becomes the bride of Christ. The day of Pentecost, here's what the Bible says, from the day of Pentecost, came. They were all together in one place. There were 120 of them, by the way. They were waiting for the promise that the Father had said He would send, that when Jesus went away, He died and resurrected, went back to heaven, God would send this gift. And He told His congregation, His followers, He said, now don't do anything until I give you the go time. Until we pull the trigger, don't do anything in your power, but wait until you receive power from on high. And they were waiting there in that one place. And then here's what it says. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. It necessarily wasn't wind. It could have been, but it was sound like a blowing wind, like a hurricane or a tornado. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separate and come to rest on each person. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pause for a moment on that. The Holy Spirit had shown up all through the Old Testament, all through the Bible. It was talked about in the New Testament. Jesus promised he would come, but all the way up until this point, it seemed that it was somewhat an incidental and spontaneous occurrence. It had no lingering impact. The Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit would come upon Samson, and he'd get strong, but then he'd get weak again. The Holy Spirit would move upon prophets, and they'd speak God's words, but then they would be gone, and they'd talk like the rest of us. And he'd move upon kings and military leaders, and and the Holy Spirit would move upon them, and they would rise up and create some military victory for God's people, but then it would go again. But on this day, the Holy Spirit comes and stays. And God gives to his bride a great wedding gift, the gift of his presence, his spirit at work in us. And it empowers, it causes us to do more than we ever could do on our own. What that means today is if you think that you're sitting here and you got it all together and you don't need God, you are not on the path to becoming a great church, people, and you really can't contribute to great church. Now, there are a lot of people in churches that think they've got it all figured out, but great church happens when people realize we need God's power. It's bigger than us, we can't do it alone. And then the Bible says they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We'll talk about that for a second. But I want to investigate the scenario in which the Holy Spirit tends to come. I mean, if it's really true that you don't have all that you need to do all that God has for you to do in your life, if you can't be the husband fully you're called to be without God's help, if you can't be the parent you're called to be without God's help, if you can't be the employee, if you can't be the worker, if you can't be the student, the boyfriend or the girlfriend without God's help, well, then how do we get his help? How does the Holy Spirit operate freely in our lives? Well, here's, here's the truth. There's a lot of things we could say, but in this passage, one thing becomes clear. The Holy Spirit will not work where there is no Unity. Unity is an important deal. In fact, unity is more important than you and me. Now, here's what I mean by unity. See, cults will tell you that what we need is uniformity. You have to believe what I believe. And if you agree, believe differently, you're wrong. Cults will tell you that everybody has to walk in exact sync and step to every doctrine and decree. Well, that's not unity. That's uniformity. Unity says something different. Unity says you have agendas, you have thoughts, you have abilities and skills, you have hopes, dreams, and aspirations, and I do too, and they're probably not the same. But in unity, we lay down, we choose to lay down our agendas and pick up an agenda that's greater for us, greater than us, a common agenda that's better than any one of our own individual agendas. You've seen this happen in other institutions that God believes in. The two big institutions that God started in this world is the church and the family. And in both of those, this same principle happens. In a family, nothing great happens unless there's unity. Oh, you can live together, you can have common shared interest and address, but marriages and families work better when there's unity. And when there's not unity, it's difficult. When individuals can't lay down their individual agenda, goals, ambitions, and pick up a common agenda for the families, well, families don't thrive. You've seen this happen, haven't you? Have you had this happen to you? It happens all the time. You've seen it happen in churches too. In fact, I would say to you that the number one problem in most churches and the reason why we have a mixed bag of experiences with churches is because people have not laid down their agendas and picked up God's agenda. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that God's agenda is my agenda. In fact, I'm not saying if you don't believe my agenda, you don't believe God. What I'm saying is, is God has given us a sense of his agenda in the Word, in the Bible. And his agenda is this that he has a message he wants to get to the world. It's a message of hope and grace and forgiveness and repentance. It's where sinners acknowledge they need God and they come to him and we share that truth with people and we orchestrate our resources around sharing that truth and loving people into a relationship with God. That kind of unity, not around your goal or mine, but around God's goal, that allows for great church. And when that doesn't happen and there's no unity and you're more important or I'm more important than God's agenda and my needs are on top of God's agenda, then church, great church doesn't happen. And we have more and more crazy stories to share And more and more people feel disaffected And disconnected from the family of God Now, a great church happens When people operate in supernatural power And that happens when people walk In unity to God's agenda Let me give you something else about great church See, I believe in this thing called the church I believe in it, not because it's my idea I believe in it Because God has given me an amazing privilege See, I know I can be a bonehead Do you know that about yourself? If you don't and you're married, look at your spouse. They'll tell you right now, you can be a bonehead. You, you got a close friend that'll tell you the truth, ask them, can you be an idiot? If they're honest, they'll say yes. If not, you need to get a new best friend. See, you can be an idiot too. And God looks at all of us that can be idiots, all of us that can be boneheads, and he says this of you, I'll use you anyway. I will. I will. I'll work with you, and as I'm using you, I'll begin to change you and mold you and make you and shape you. Oh, you'll never reach perfection, but you can grow a depth and a character and an integrity. You can begin to walk in wisdom, and you're needed. I don't know if you know this or not, but the reason why you have to be plugged into a local church is because we need you. Now, God's going to do his work without you. You're not that important, but at the same time, he chose to make this situation be this way that he needs and wants your individual voice and your unique gifts and skills on board with his agenda in this world. He needs you. He does. Now, again, he's fine without you. He's not needy, but he set it up this way. His whole plan is, is that you would have a role and I would have a role. And when we cooperate with that role, it goes well, and when not, well, we get left behind. That's the way it works. So great churches, the individual people, great church people, use their unique language, And their gifts towards God's agenda in this world. I want to read for you a passage of Scripture that's created all kinds of confusion in churches. And there's a lot of things we could say about this passage. But one thing for me becomes very clear. That God wants to use your unique language, your unique way of speaking, and your unique environment, and your unique gifts for His glory. Let's read it, how it comes down to us theologically. Here's what it says. And all the folks were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues or in different languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. It was Pentecost. It was a celebration 50 days after Passover. For us, it's about 50 days after after, Easter. Easter. And what happened on Pentecost is they would gather together in Jerusalem and celebrate. They would come from all over the known world, if you were Jewish, and you would come there and celebrate. It was a big deal. It was a celebration. And so they were there, but they each brought within their own cultures. They had been a generation or two dispersed throughout the greater Mediterranean area. And so they all had their unique cultures. And many of them didn't even know how to speak their native language, which would have been Aramaic or some of them Hebrew or possibly Greek. And so Greek was the unifying language, but they all had their individual culture, you understand. And when they gathered together every God-fearing Jew from all over the world, verse 6, then they heard this sound. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard in their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these people Galileans, the people leading the 120? Aren't they from that little province in Israel? I mean, aren't they largely unlearned common laborers? How do they know all these languages? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Let me make something clear to you. There are a lot of things that are going on here with the gift of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and all that great stuff, but one overarching theme for the purpose of the church becomes clear, that God was willing to empower you to speak for him and to offer your unique gifts and abilities as he empowers you for the betterment of others. And when you do that, he will let them receive what they need to receive. They will hear what they need to hear. What that means is is that if you're in here and you actually know other languages, you can use that. Some of you in this room, you're more charismatic, Pentecostal, and you take a particular spin on this, and all that's well and good. But I want to give you something else that's going on here that I think is very much the important part of this passage. It's this, that you have a unique language you're able to speak, and I'm not talking about English versus German versus Spanish. I'm saying where you are right now in your life, you have a culture, you have a place of belonging. And you get to operate in this world with that culture and that belonging and that way of understanding. For some of you, you're business people and you get that environment. You understand management and the way of engaging business meetings to make an agenda happen and make money. You have a unique ability. You speak that language. You live in that world. Let me make something clear to you. God wants to use that ability you have So that on occasion, you can speak his words in that environment to somebody else who's like you, that if I were to speak to them, I couldn't fully connect with. Some of you, you're mothers of preschoolers, and everybody knows preschool moms have special language. Have You ever heard a preschool mom talk to their kids? Oh, baby, come here. Here comes the airplane. It's crazy stuff. Have you ever seen a, a mom trying to potty train their kids? Isn't that the craziest thing in the world? I mean, just think about this for a second. You put the kid on the potty, and the mommy and the daddy gather around the preschool kid, and they're like, Oh, Johnny, come on, Johnny, you can do it. It's time. You're a big boy, Johnny. And they're like, it's a foreign reality. And then maybe one day Johnny produces and yay! Oh, you're awesome! And they get this kid so riled up. And then, of course, they scar them for life because all the work and all the training and all the encouragement and prodding. What do they do with the gift that Johnny has given them? They flush it and make it go away. And he's scarred for life. Now, preschool moms, you guys have a special language. And God wants to use that in this world for you to speak that language to others in your situation and let God speak through you and they will hear you in their native languages and they'll receive the message of God. Some of you are students, young men, young women, single, married, newly married, older parents who have teenagers and you have a unique way, and if you'll open your mouth and let God use you, speak to you, you'll be able to connect with people in similar places of life, speaking similar language, and God will bless it, and his words will flow when you become great church people that make great church. It created all kinds of confusion when people heard people speaking in their languages. So Peter defines the reality in verse 17. He says, let me tell you what's going on. This is like a prophecy from the Old Testament from Joel. Here's what Joel said. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit. And I want you to hear these words. I know the church gets it wrong. I know some of you have been hurt. But what we're getting ready to read is beautiful. And the world needs this. Listen to the inclusive, all encompassing language from God. You have a place because of what we're getting ready to read. I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons. Well, that was normal, that was cultural. And your daughters will prophesy. Wait, 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 wait. You mean women can have a voice? Absolutely. Absolutely in God's agenda, women can have a voice. And your young men, wait, wait, wait. Only old men, wise men are supposed to hear from God. But your young men will see visions. And your old men will still dream dreams. Not too young to make a difference and not too old to continue to make a difference. And even on my servants. Sometimes the Bible gets criticized as somehow encouraging slavery. I don't understand that. I know that people use the Bible in all kinds of weird ways. But in this passage, what it's saying is even those that are lowest in the society get elevated to equal status. Even the servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. They will speak the words of God with boldness. They'll declare the realities of this world and speak truth into people's lives. When they do that, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, I know some of you in this room have blown it. I know some of you have been hurt deeply. I know some of you are like on hiatus. But God's not done. Listen to me. God's not done with you. He's not. Some of you grew up in church and you had people pray for you and pour into you. And you're doing jack squat. I'm not here to beat you up. But let's listen to this prophecy for just a moment. God's not done with you. He's not done with you. And he's called you back to himself to get on board with his agenda. And here's what you're going to have to do. Our small P plans, the plans you have for your life, are going to have to yield to his big P plans. His plan for the world, for redemption. Greg gave this to us in a message not all that long ago. You can go online and pay attention and, 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 and listen to that message where he unpacks the implications of this. Yeah, you're going to have to lay down a few things, I bet. Some of you are going to have to give some forgiveness, get over some hurt. Some of you are going to have to lay down some sin. Let's just be honest. Can we tell the truth for just a minute? It's not that God needs you to lay it down so much. You need to lay it down because it's put distance between you and him. He's fine. He's fine. He wants you close to him again. Some of you, you're going to have to lay down your giftedness because sometimes the more gifted we are, the harder it is for us to lay down our agendas and follow him. The suburbs are a tough place to do ministry. Most of us don't need much in our lives. We got it going on. We got our whatever's in the bank account. We got whatever's to play with. And our families are cute and beautiful and beautiful. We got it going on. And God says sometimes you're going to have to lay down all that giftedness and realize your need of Him. And when you do that, He can use you. He can use you. What do you need to lay down? What do you need to lay down right now in order to become great church people? I mean, I'm not talking about for Ben. I'm not even talking about for Four Corners Church. Although I, I hope to God some of you get on board with God's agenda and God uses you here in mighty ways. But what do you need to lay down? Now, great church people operate in God's power. Great church people use their language, their culture, and they speak powerfully in those environments. And great church people lay down their plans and pick up God's. Here's number three. Great church people share life-changing truth. Peter, who's preaching, getting ready to preach this message, he was a bonehead too. He never got it right. God's always correcting him and scolding him. He says to Jesus, I'm never going to betray you. And just a few hours later, he's cussing at a little bitty girl, this fisherman, brawny, strong fisherman's cussing at a little girl saying, I've never even heard of this Jesus guy you're talking about. He's a bonehead. He messes up. But then he's there on the 120, and he gets filled with supernatural power. And not in his own might, but certainly with a willing heart and a willing to be bold, he stands in front of the people who are all confused about what's going on, and why are they talking in our language, and what's the crazy commotion going on? And he begins to explain to them Jesus. He shares with them life-changing truth. The message of the church, let's be clear, it's about Jesus. Some of you have been having bad church experiences up to this point in your life because your church wasn't preaching the message of Jesus. They were preaching a message of get better, feel good, let's have some social interaction, let's do some good work. All that's fine, but it's all secondary. Some of them are preaching that you get in great community. We just need relationships. We just need to love each other and help each other. Can't we all just get along? All that's fine, it's secondary. The message of the church, the life-changing message of the church, is Jesus, Christ crucified and resurrected, coming again, and we put our trust in that, and it changes our eternal destinies. The Holy Spirit takes residence in our life, and everything begins to change. This is what had happened to Peter. So he stands up, this impetuous, scared fisherman Finds a boldness that's not his. And he says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus. And he looks at the crowd. Who He wouldn't even look at a little girl, but he looks at the crowd and he says, And you crucified him. And God made him Lord and Messiah. He's pointing his finger at the crowd. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter and the other apostles said, Brothers, and they said this to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what do we need to do? And Peter replied, listen to this word, Repent, oh, Oh, isn't that an unpopular word? It implies that you're not perfect, which we'll all agree to that publicly. But privately, we pretty much think we got it going on. And if not, we at least got it better going on than the guy next to me. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that supernatural empowerment. That promise is for you. Now, listen to me, parents. This is good news. The promise is for you and for your children. It's for you and for your children. And sometimes our children don't play by God's agenda and not ours. But the promise is for you and your children. And for all those who are far off. For all whom the Lord will call. And then Peter looked at them and with many words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this world, from this generation. It's corrupt. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. See, that kind of preaching about Jesus changes people's lives. When the church gets off center of its message of Jesus, they begin to not be a great church. And when church people make it about everything else other than Jesus and his agenda for this world, they're not great church people. And we got a lot of people doing a lot of good stuff in the name of all kinds of great causes. But if it ain't about Jesus, it ain't life-changing. See, the church is the only thing that's going to outlive every one of us in this room. I mean, Microsoft might make it a few more generations. I pray to God the United States lasts, you know, through my great-great-grandchildren. But eventually, all those things will come to an end, but not the church. Not the church. The church of Jesus Christ will always prevail. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell. The strongest, most opposing forces in this world will not prevail against the church. I know we're not perfect. Some of you have had a problem with an individual church and you've not grown up enough to acknowledge that the church that you experience is not the all-encompassing big C church. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to say, you know, just swallow it down. I'm saying let the truth of Jesus speak louder than any hurt, any disappointment, any lie that you've heard, anybody that hurt you. See, they needed Jesus too. And the problem with them was probably that they weren't letting Jesus speak loud enough into their lives. God wasn't done with them, and he's still working on them. But that's what happened. And you're not doing anybody any favors by allowing the voice of Jesus to be quiet in your life. No, great churches, the kinds of churches we need, the kinds of churches you and I want to be a part of, the kinds of churches our children need and our neighbors need and this world needs are made up of people who are dedicated and sold out to Jesus Christ. And when I get that right, I'm pretty good. And when I get that wrong, guess what? I'm going in the wrong direction. And if you've been around churches that weren't getting that right, I really am sorry. I am. But God calls to you today and says, now, come on, let's get this right. Receive the words of Peter. Repent for your part, forgive where it wasn't your fault, and then be baptized. And that word baptism is physically what we're going to do here, but specifically be immersed again in the goodness of God and let that be the voice that draws and pulls Church people come and go. Church fads come and go. Church leaders come and go. But Jesus, Jesus and his message and his grace, now there's the constant. See, that's what it's all about. And when we forget it, when we forget it, we're off track. And people who forget it can't make great churches. It's hard enough for people who get it to make great churches. But Jesus said if we do, he'll work with us. And it'll change you and it'll change the people around you. Here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to take a couple next steps together. And the way we do that is we grab out our Connect cards, we turn them over. Now, today's a little unique. Two next steps that I'm going to offer you are really for all of us in the room to consider. And two of the next steps I'm going to offer you are really uh, kind of individualized. In fact, they're more focused than I typically do for, uh, for a crowd like this, a general crowd. So here's the first one, and I'm just going to go for the heart here, all right? Now, if you don't know, Ben, you're visiting with us today, hey, you get to hear today what was, it is the motivating momentum behind this place. We're not perfect in it, but it's what we strive for. So here's next step, A. Hey, here's our heart for you. That if you've let hurtful experiences in church put distance between you and God, that today, you'd give that to him. You'd ask him to help you forgive. You'd ask him to remove that stumbling block, You'd receive his healing. He is the great healer. And you'd let him close that gap between you and him. So what we would do with that, if you want to take that step, you just check next step A. We're going to pray about it. You just kind of give that up to God when we pray. In your own way, you can let my words be your words. You can find your own. Then you put that in the offering bucket when it comes by. And we as a congregation, we will, as as a staff, we will pray for you. See, our congregation is uniquely sensitive to this issue. We know that a lot of people could be in church today and they're not. And some of them aren't because of what happened to them in church. And we have a place for you here. And if other churches didn't accept you and love you, we'll do that here. And if other churches hurt you and wounded you, guess what, you're hanging on with us long enough, we probably will too. And I'm sorry to admit that. But we're gonna be honest about it and try to love you and ask you to love us. And we're gonna forgive you and ask you to forgive us. And we're gonna try our best to put God's agenda on top. Hey, if this is you, Don't leave here today without dealing with that roadblock between you and God. Now, here's next step, B, for some of us. I'm very aware that today there's some folks in this room, and the distance you feel between you and God comes because of mistakes you've made, sins you've committed, the way you've disappointed yourself, and now you feel guilt and shame about that. God is really good at dealing with guilt and shame. Some of you made commitments and you couldn't live them out, and you feel guilty, you're ashamed of that, and so you disengage. Some of you have committed sins and because of that, you've disengaged. Some of you decided that you're going to put Jesus on the back burner and you're going to pursue whatever the world offered and that's producing you guilt and shame and that's created a gap between you and God. Kept you from fully engaging its church because when you go to church, they say things you may not want to hear and you find hypocrites at church and all kinds of challenges and I'm just going to ask you, what, what would God say to you in the middle of that? I think here's what he'd say. Put that aside and reconnect with him today. He wants you to be a part of his bride. He loves you. He loves me and he loves us. And he wants you to be a part of the us. Now, next step C is unique because this week as I, uh, as I pondered all the steps that people took last week, so many of you said you wanted to increase your giving. And I thought, well, what can we do to help you? So this is not for everybody. But if you check that you'd like to uh, give more to this church so that we can give the message of Jesus more aggressively and boldly and, and more broadly, Well, one way that my wife and I have really experienced help with this is we automated our giving. So if you'd like to know how to do that, we will send you information. Just check the box. Again, this is not for everybody. Those of you that said you'd like to do that, we want to give you a tool. You don't have to check the box. There's a hundred ways you can give around here. This one set me and my wife free. All right, and the next step, D. I'm asking some of you to make an investment in other pastors. See, they don't get to work with people like I get to work with. They don't get to have the volunteers like we have. They're not going to have six, seven, eight baptisms like we're going to have today. And they're discouraged. So we give back to the Big C Church regularly around here by hosting conferences. And so that's what we're going to do Wednesday. And I'm asking for some of you to adjust your schedule. As many as you that want, if you've never served, you can do this today. Between 6.30 and 9.30, show up any portion of that you can and help us welcome these pastors. You wear your blue t-shirt. If you don't have one, you come, we give you one and we wave, and we smile, and we say, we're so appreciative for the work you do for the Lord, and we love on them, and we get to let a part of what's great about this place kind of, you know, go off on on some of them. There's about 150 of them coming. It's going to be a great thing, and then they're going to stay here throughout the day and receive some great training and teaching, and I'm going to be sitting right there on the front row with my notebook open and my pen learning all I can about doing what God's called me to do. So if you can come for that period of time, doesn't matter how old you are, we got a spot for you. Kids too, we got a spot for you. All right, let's pray about these things and then we're gonna do some baptisms, all right? Lord Jesus, you're awesome. God, thank you for the church. I'm sorry I've blown it, Lord. I'm sorry that as a church leader that people look to, I can be a bonehead and I'm sure, I know for a fact I've disappointed people and they are away from you in part because of actions I took. And God, I take my responsibility in that and I say, I'm sorry. But God, please don't let them believe the lie of the enemy that says because Ben is an idiot, they don't have to take you seriously. And no matter whether it was Ben or some other church leader, God, would you, by your spirit right now, your Holy Spirit, would you pull on the heart? God, I pray for those folks that are dealing with guilt and shame for whatever reason, and it has caused distance like it tends to do. God, by your power and through your blood, would you wash them clean? Let them know their forgiveness in you, draw them back to you. And God, for every pastor that represents every church that walks through these doors, literally the thousands that they will represent, God, we pray that in this place on Wednesday they will experience a renewal, that their spine will be stiffened, they'll lift their head, they'll regain a smile on their face as you pour into them that you're not done with them, that you still have a plan and a purpose and you can use them for your kingdom. Then, God, make us a great church by making us great church people. We pray it in your powerful and holy name. Amen.